Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Praise the Lord. Well, I had intended to go a certain direction. You can even ask Brother Buzz. I had given him one title, and the Lord redirected me, so I'm going to be obedient. And we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. And I want to look at verse uh, 21. Proverbs 18 and verse 21. It says, Death and life are in the power of of the tongue, and they that love it, they that love it, they that love it, whether it be death or life, they will eat the fruit thereof. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The word power in the Hebrew language means hand. It means hand. Death and life are in the hand of the tongue. Now, um, If I could, I would, I would just unpause from where we were on that final day of the six days of faith because that's what I feel like the Lord has just connected me to what road of revelation we were on during that time because that was a preparation for us. And uh, we are diligent not to let go of that, aren't we? And uh, so when he says death and life are in the hand of the tongue, we perk up our ears like that Doberman Pinscher who's got their, that, those ears. You can just see them they go right up, right? We perk up our ears and we say, okay, death and life are in the hand of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit of it. So what I'm loving to talk about, what I am giving my words to, that's what I'm going to eat the fruit of. And this is an elementary understanding of faith, but it is a fundamental that we will never move away from. It is a, a truth that we, we should never grow lax about, that we should never allow our lips to be undisciplined lips because it is a, a vital directive of our life to be in charge of the words that come out of our mouth. I've used this example before, and I, I'm not throwing Pastor Marie under the bus because she has used it publicly as well. But she started going to the college up here when she was going to get her teaching degree. And, you know, she was around uh, a lot of uh, 18, 19-year-olds that she had not necessarily been around some of their, their lingo. And so she was hearing them say things and hearing the way they talked. And so it had been a while, and she and I were getting together to meet about something, and she started in her conversation, and she used a phrase that she, she used it about three times before I interrupted her, and I said, I, I, why are you saying that? Because she was using this phrase that was a slang phrase in, in the world of, I was just devastated. I was just devastated. Talking about, you know, I got this report that uh, I only had two days before this final test, and then we were devastated about it and devastated. And about the third time she said it, I asked her, how many times a day do you use that word? And she didn't even realize that word had gotten in her mouth. That here she is, a woman, a preacher of the word of God, anointed of God, preparing uh, uh, for, for, you know, the, for the ministry, preparing to, to go out uh, onto the field. And here she is, a woman who knows this concept. She was here when pastor preached 21 weeks in a row on faith. She was here. She was in those services, and, and so she knew, and when at the moment I said, how many times a day do you said that, you could just see her whole face went white and her mouth fell open, and she was like, I didn't even realize I was saying it. It just snuck in to my vocabulary, 
And so I'm saying that to, to say if we aren't on guard, it can, there are things that we hear people say that, that we allow those words to just slip into our vocabulary, into our conversation. And before we realize that we're saying what we're saying, we are allowing those words to have motion in our life. And so we have to be responsible and the Holy Spirit will help us. She had the help of the Holy Spirit through her pastor because just being in that conversation with me for the first time in however many weeks it had been since I, I was able to help her identify something that was trying to get in her mouth and would have gotten into her life if it had been allowed its continued activity. I mean, think about this. Gloria Copeland. Gloria Copeland. She was standing in the conference doing healing school, and they said a tornado was coming through the area, and, you know, they were praying about it, and, of course, the officials came in and moved them out of the room that they were in and took them into the hallways and to the different places that were safer. And it came and, and, and tore a part of the roof off, and, and she was asking the Lord, you know, I prayed about that and I was commanding and it did not do the damage. It did dissolve and it did go away. But she was asking the Lord, Lord, why didn't I have a greater effectiveness with my prayer and with my words against that tornado? And she said, it was as if God had a tape recorder and was playing back how many times she had said, that just blows me away. That just blows my mind. That just blows me away. And it just blew me away. And she said it was like he had a recorder and press play. And I could hear my voice saying, that blows me away. Wow. Didn't even realize, here is Gloria Copeland. <laughs> I mean, at the height of her teaching and her book writing and all of the different things, did not realize that was in her mouth and doing what it was doing. And so when she asked the Lord, he was gracious to reveal to her what words she had been uttering that opened the door and hindered her, let me say it this way, hindered her from being able to accurately defeat that attack. So I'm saying this because I want us all to be aware. I don't want us to police everybody else. I want us to police our own mouths. I want us to police our own. Now, husbands and wives, it's good for us to help each other, but don't use it like a, 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 a sword, you know. Don't hurt your husband. Don't hurt your wife with it, you know. But, but if, it's, if, it, if, if you hear them saying something, ask God to show you a way to, to bring to their attention. You know, I think uh, one couple... Uh, I think it was Phyllis Moore when, when Brother Keith would say something. She said, if that's what you want. That's how she would respond. If he made a statement that was negative, she would say, if that's what you want. That's how they helped each other. If that's what you want, if you say so. If you say so. And so we don't want to be vicious about it and we don't want to police each other and make it uh, uh, strife. But we do want to help each other because death and life are in the hand of the tongue. Your tongue is a hand that takes things. Your, your tongue is a hand that can hold on to things. Amen. So from the positive perspective, if you want to take healing, how are you going to take it? With the hand of your tongue. You, so if, if you want to know whether or not healing is in your possession... Are you, are you declaring by his stripes I am healed? Are you and not just saying, oh, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. That's not scripture. That's not scripture. To deny the problem is not faith. So we've got to, we've got to call for what we want. If God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and he has chosen things which be not to bring to nothing things which are. Remember? God has chosen things which be not in manifestation, you could add right there. Things that be not to bring to naught, to negate, to uh, um, uh, annihilate, 
the things that are. So if sickness is, what are you going to do to make it not? You're going to call into existence something that's not in existence, but is yours by right, healing. And you're going to call for healing, just like if the dog's not there, you're going to call for the dog. You're not going to go out and say, the dog's not here, the dog's not here. But you're going to call for the dog. You're going to say, I want the dog to come, so I'm going to call the dog by name. So I want healing to come, so I'm going to call 1 Peter 2.24 into my body. I'm going to declare that 1 Peter 2.24 is flowing through my bloodstream. I am the healed of the Lord because Jesus bore the stripes. He was wounded from my transgressions. He was bruised from my iniquities and the chastisement necessary to obtain my nothing missing, nothing broken was laid upon Him and by His stripes I am healed. And so I'm calling for it with my mouth and if I've got it in my mouth, I've got possession of it. So that's how you hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering. You keep saying it. You've got it in your heart. You've got it in your mouth. That's how you hold fast. So Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. We're looking at this as an operation of the way we are designed. And the more that I study Isaiah 55, I recognize... God wants us to have this same attitude about the words that come out of our mouth that he has concerning the words that come out of his mouth. He says, he says in Isaiah 55 and verse 10, or let's start in 11 and then I'm going to come back to 10, okay? So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it will accomplish what I please and it will prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. I have come to a place where I see God desires for you to have that same attitude about the words that come out of your mouth. He wants wants Karen to be able to stand up and say, so shall the word be that comes forth out of my mouth. Because your mouth is His. He purchased your mouth with the blood of Jesus, right? So it's His word... He purchased us, we're His. So if the word coming out of our mouth is God's word, then we're in line to have that same attitude and confidence and even boldness. So shall God's word be that comes forth out of my mouth. It will not return empty. God wants you to have confidence that every time you declare His word, it works. It's going out and accomplishing. You're sending the word the same way God sent the word. Those words are coming out of a righteous heart, righteous lips. Because of the blood, you've been made righteous. So these words are going to accomplish exactly what they are intended to accomplish. When you send the word, you need to be that bold about it. It will accomplish the will of God. It will accomplish and prosper in the thing I send it to. So back to verse 10, he says in verse 11, so shall my word be, or just like this, this is how my word's going to work. Well, let's back up and look at how, how is that. Just like what? He begins to describe how the rain comes down and the snow, or you could say the moisture, And do you remember when you were in elementary school, junior high, and they had in that science book, they had that picture of a cloud uh, forming over the sea and then coming up over the land and bringing it down. And there was moisture coming down and evaporation. And it's got that whole circle, you know, showing you this is a process. This is a circle. And so he's telling us that same process of how it evaporates and goes up and then it collects and it comes back down. He says, as the rain comes down and doesn't return as rain. The word sent from God doesn't return to him in the same form. It goes out and accomplishes what it's supposed to accomplish and it comes back through our praises. Right? Through our thanksgiving. For everything that that word accomplishes, we turn it back. We walk out the word. We live in the word. And we thank God 
for all that that word has accomplished. So he said, as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not there, but waters the earth and the, the rain makes it produce. The rain makes the earth produce. The rain initiates. See, you can have the very best seed that money can buy. You can have the very most fertile soil that can be found on the planet, but without rain, it's not going to grow. It can, you can have the, 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 the best of all things, but without the rain, without the water, without the moisture, it won't produce. And it will sit there dry until you can just look and see when a desert that goes through months and months and months of a dry season. And then that every once in a while, they'll have a rain season happen in that desert. And overnight, it's covered with plants and flowers. Those plants and flowers, where did they come from? They were there all the time. But there, there was no water. So the moment the water came, the plants grew up. And the flowers flourished, right? The moment the water came. And so God is saying, my word is like the water that causes your life to bring forth, causes your life to be productive so that it will give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. My word will cause the situation to produce. So where does the word have to be? It has to be coming out of thy mouth. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. So if we have God's word in our mouth, it's the same as God's word in his mouth. So this responsibility, this responsibility in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus refers to this responsibility and helps us to see that it is not something to take lightly. It is not something to look at as just a word of faith teaching that, oh yeah, okay, they're going to teach on words for a little while. They're going to teach on, on um, you know, uh, keeping the right confession, hold fast your confession of faith, and just as if it's just one of a few teachings that are are for the, the certain group of people we hang with, the, the word of faith group or whatever. No, Jesus didn't limit it to any certain people group. He said everybody, everybody will give an account for the words that they speak. Let's look at Matthew 12. He says uh, in verse 34, the latter part of verse 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we're talking about words that are spiritual because they're connected to the heart out of the abundance of the heart whatever is in the heart in abundance whatever is in the heart in abundance so faith faith is not just speaking positive words let me say it again faith is not just speaking positive words you can say positive words and not have faith in them Even as believers, we can speak the right thing. We can speak the right Christianese lingo. We can say the right kind of statement and not necessarily have faith in it. Just because it is a, 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 a positive word or a biblical word or a scriptural declaration doesn't mean I have produced any faith in my heart to put in that word. And that's why we've got to begin with Proverbs 4.20 where it says, Attend to my words. Don't let them depart from in front of your eyes. Incline your ear to hear them because I need you to get it in your heart. I need you to get it in your heart because I need the, it's the word coming out of the heart that Mark 11 is talking about. When he said, he said, uh, Whosoever will say to this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. Now wait a minute. So it's not just the declaration of me going around commanding mountains to move. It's not just the declaration of me going around speaking to inanimate objects and telling them what to do. I've got to believe that the things I say come to pass for that to even be effective in my life. So someone can go around. Here's what causes a lot of people to get dis, dis, disappointed 
is because they just see the formula and they don't take the time to actually build the faith content in their heart to put insert into the words and they just jump out and start saying the words because they got the formula and they say, well, I'm just going to speak to the mountain. I'm just going to command this. And it doesn't happen the way that that they thought it should happen because they hadn't taken the step first to get faith in their heart to put in their words. It's out of the abundance of the heart that you speak faith-filled words. So that's why Brother Caps always taught us that the first part of our confession is not releasing faith, it's depositing it into the heart. The first part of our confession of faith is actually causing faith to come to us. So that when we reach a level of fullness, we're going to pull it up out of our heart and release it into our situation. But in the beginning, as we are speaking those 1 Peter 2.24 or Isaiah 53.4 and 5 or speaking Philippians 4.13, speaking Philippians 4.19, speaking those scriptures, I'm not... I'm not just going to jump out and be able to grab that scripture off the page, pop it into my mouth, and move a mountain with it. Because what did Jesus say? If you believe that the things you say will come to pass, you know you got to work on that. <laughs> Wait, you mean to tell me the things I say going to come? Okay, I've got to work on the power of my words, and I've got to be able to believe and doubt not. So that means I've got to have a force of faith in the heart for me to stuff my words, fill my words, put into my words, that because my words are the containers that are going to carry it from my heart into my situation. So I'm not just running around speaking a lot of things if I don't have it in my heart yet. If I don't have a measure of faith in my heart then my speaking is for the purpose of depositing it into my heart. When faith comes, you'll know it. it you'll, you'll sense the difference between that uh, deposit kind of confession and that confession that contains faith that is going out of you and causing an effect in your situation. You'll, you'll, your spirit will know the difference. Your spirit will be able to recognize the difference. And, and so when Jesus says here, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, this is in good or it's in, in, in negative? Because he goes on in the next verse and he says, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil deposit or treasure brings forth evil things. And this isn't necessarily saved and unsaved. But if a person is full of the problem, then they don't have anything good to pull out. They can love God, but be so full of the problem. He's not talking about your salvation in this. He's talking about what are you full of? Are you full of the promises? Are you full of the truth? Are you full of the light? Are you full of the word? Or are you full of the situation and all of the, the turmoil around the situation? And so that's why we as believers are required to guard our heart. We've got to set up a, a, a peace protection. He says that we are to uh, cast down Cast all of our care upon the Lord, right? He says that we are to uh, uh, cast that care and then the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard the heart and the mind. Why? Why does the heart need to be guarded? Because we don't want the enemy to sow problem tears, problem weeds, we don't want the enemy to have our hearts so full of the situation and the current news conditions and the Facebook post and everybody else's drama that so when we need to go pull on a promise and pull on some strength and pull on a, 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 a scripture that, that should, it's been choked out. 
I mean, Jesus emphasized the importance of the parable of the sower. He said, if you don't understand the, the parable of the sower, you won't understand how the kingdom of God works because the parable of the sower wasn't, it, it wasn't three unsaved and one saved person. It wasn't a saved person that brought forth the 30, 60, and 100 and all the other people. They were just sinners anyway. It's not what he said. He said the word of God went into each of their heart. But because of a lack of understanding on the wayside soil, because of uh, the offense being offended at the word, offended when it didn't happen the way I thought it would happen, offended when that didn't work for me, offended at, at the word, or the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, choked out the word. So the word went into each of these. These people were all hearing the word. They were all in a position receiving the word. But what they did in holding on to that word and maintaining that word in their heart determined the outcome of that word in their life. And so he's telling us, out of the abundance of your heart, you've got to choose to make good deposits. And they have to be done purposefully. The word doesn't just automatically deposit in your heart because you got born again, because you attend this church, or because you own a Bible. It is deposited in your heart by you choosing to deposit. Pastor Tanya, hashtag stay in the word. <laughs> She's got that book, hashtag stay in the word, stay in the word. Why? You got to stay in the word. It's got to be on purpose that I'm in the word, in the word, in the word. Why? Because this is my life. This is my meat. This is the light for my path. And it is the spiritual nutrition that will help me uh, achieve God's will and God's plan for my life. So he says, out of the good deposit. Notice the man brings forth good. The man or the woman. We can reach into our deposit and we can bring forth good. How do we bring forth? Out of the abundance of the heart. What happens? The mouth speaks. So for you to bring forth good out of the deposit, you're going to have to bring it forth with your words. Out of the good deposit of the heart, the man or woman brings forth good things. Hallelujah. I'm bringing forth some debt freedom on my house. I'm bringing forth an abundant provision in, in our, our church. I'm bringing it forth. How am I bringing it forth? I'm putting the promise in my heart and I'm bringing it forth out of my mouth. I'm bringing it forth. I'm calling for it. Hallelujah. I'm bringing forth some things. And then it says, Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Every idle word. So... He didn't say every cuss word. We don't have those in our mouth anyway. But he said every idle word. The Amplified says every non-working, inoperative word. Non-working, inoperative. Words that don't mean anything. Words that, that are not working for you. Why? Because you have been given the responsibility of words. You have been given the authority of words. On this planet, the human race are, is the only, only, not even the angels have the authority of words. Only the human beings have the authority of words. And as redeemed human beings, our words have even greater authority. Because we are in the redemption, we are operating in the authority that God gave to Jesus. And that's why Jesus could speak to the wind and the waves and they obeyed him. Right? Our words, how did he commanded a fever and the fever obeyed him? Why? Because the authority of our words. So not only are we human beings who have the ability to choose our words, but we are redeemed human beings who have a responsibility to use words like our Father uses words. 
to use words. Remember what we went over in the six days of faith. The very first mention of words being used in the Bible was to create. God used words to create. The second thing was to put things in order, to subdue. He put in order how he wanted the orbits and how he wanted the tides to move on the earth. He put in order where he wanted the uh, light by day and the moon by night. He put those things in order. He called them. So he created and then he called. And then the third use of words was to bless. All of those before communication. But generally, the human race only uses primarily the words for communication when that is the fourth in the biblical precedent for the use. So for you and I, for us to create the will of God in our lives should be the number one priority of our words. That the words I speak should be creating God's will in my life. I should go right here and get the seed of what God's will is and put it in my heart until it produces faith and then pull it out of my mouth and speak it into my situation and cause the will of God to be created in my marriage, in my finances, in my community, in my family, whatever the case may be, create. And then put things in order. If things are chaotic, if things start trying to get out of place, if things start trying to get, wait a minute, what's going on here? Use your words. Put it back in place. No, my thoughts don't work that way. No, no, I don't allow. I don't allow that discomfort to be in my heart. I don't allow that. To speak to it, put it in order. Say, no, that's out of line. And then thirdly, use your words to bless. Bless your, your family. Bless your life. Bless, bless, bless. Amen? So this... This responsibility of words is what I want to look a little bit more closely in the few minutes that we have left here. James chapter 3, we touched on it in the six days of faith. James chapter 3, let's look at verse 3. He says, Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us. Why do we put the bit in their mouth? We need them to obey us. So to get them to obey us, unless you have a really trained horse that you've worked with and you've trained them to, to be able to ride, uh, and, and there are competitions where they do that, where they can ride them without a saddle, without a bit in their mouth, but they have worked with those horses a lot. They have worked with them day after day after day to get them used to their commands. But generally, you can get any horse that's been a broken horse, a horse that's been broken to ride, that's been prepared for riding, you can get any of them to obey your commands by putting the bit in the mouth. And it says, we turn about their whole body. So we put, in the, bit, we put the bit in the mouth for obedience and we put it for direction. We want to be able to turn that horse. We want it to obey us and go in the direction that we want it to go. The next example is a ship. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned, turned, turned with a very small helm wherever the captain, the pilot, desires. So how do I turn the ship? I use the rudder. How do I turn the horse? I use the bit. Verse 5, even so the tongue. Even so the tongue. So he's comparing the tongue to the bit and to the rudder. The tongue is small just like that bit is small in comparison to the size of that horse. That the tongue is small just like the, the rudder is small in comparison to those huge ships. The tongue is small, but it can cause a turning. It can turn your life in the direction of God or in the direction of the problem. Whoever's got control of the tongue, 
Whoever's in control of the tongue is controlling the direction. So if the problem has control of my tongue, that's the direction I'll go. But if the promise has control of my tongue, then that's the direction I'm leaning towards. The tongue can turn things. The tongue can, can produce the obedience. He says the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. And then he uses this example of how you start a fire with kindling. None of us start a fire with a huge fire. You, you, you don't start a fire. You don't carry around a huge fire to be able to go start a fire at your campsite. Like, what? Well, did you bring the fireplace fire? You know, and did, did it stay warm and hot? No, you can't bring the fire. What do you bring? You bring matches. You bring kindling. And you start a fire. And the purpose of starting that fire is to have the big fire. You, if you want the fire, you use kindling to start it. And he uses this example in a way that is something that you want or something that you don't want because... You remember Smokey Bear? You remember the commercials they used to have about Smokey Bear? And talking about you being responsible to put out your fires? Don't you go out there, especially, you know, in, in times that it's dry and start fires and be irresponsible with your fires? Because every little spark, remember the commercial, every little spark? So just that little spark can cause miles and miles of California tree lines and even homes to burn to the ground because someone's little irresponsible spark. So this is what he's talking about. The, the Holy Spirit is identifying that our words can spark the causing things in our life. We recognize that we're responsible with our words. We don't want to use our words like idle words. And we sure don't want to use words that are detrimental, like gossip or slander. You know how much the Bible identifies God hates. It's one of the seven things God hates. People who, st who cause strife with their words in the body of Christ. So we, we know that responsibility. We know we're recognizing our responsibility not to speak words of strife, not to criticize, not to use words to gossip. We know that, right? Our, we're walking that love walk. But also, if we want a Holy Ghost fire, we need to put the spark and the kindling to the wood. It's not just a negative working. If we know, okay, I'm going to be responsible and I'm not going to speak the negative, but I want a, I want a huge fire uh, of healing in my life. I need a, 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 this in my life. So it's, this is how you get it started. If you want the big fire, it starts with the kindling. So every time that you're speaking over your scriptures in your own personal time, and you're going over those scriptures and you're speaking them out. You're, you're kindling the fire. You're striking the matches. And one day people are going to come and say, wow, how did you do that? How did that happen? And, and if they could just see my kindling, if you could just see how I was lighting my matches every day, how I was calling my business blessed for the last however many months. I've been speaking it for months. I've been calling it for months. I've been, I've been declaring it for months. And, and I, I, I know nine months we, we declared every day our debt freedom. It, it was a nine-month process. And that nine months we were lighting our kindling, kindling. Nobody saw the kindling. They were impressed with my fire. Like, whoa, look at that debt-free fire. You should have seen my kindling. You should have seen my kindling because that's where it started. That's where it started. And so when we recognize this 
small spark, not just from a negative perspective that we don't want to start a forest fire of negativity or criticism or slander, but we can use our words to spark healing, to spark debt freedom, to spark prosperity on our job, to, to, to spark raises and bonuses. And, and, and those are kindlings that we're putting out and we're fueling the fire, working on that fire that God is producing. It's turning the situation. Just like the bit turns the horse and the rudder turns the ship, my words are turning this situation in the direction that God desires for it to be. Now, on the Thursday night of the six days of faith, the Lord said this to us. The Lord said, your faith will hold. You can go back and watch this. This was the, the word of the Lord that uh, came by tongues and interpretation that Pastor and I and I went back because it impacted me. I went back and I wrote it into my journal. He says, your faith will hold. Your faith will stand. Your faith will weather any storm that comes. As you open your mouth and declare the word, your faith will stand and hold. Many will say, what happened here? How did that change? How did that end? You will stand back and know it was words of faith Words of the Spirit and words of victory that caused things to change. So there's no dancing around and trying to figure it out. There's no dancing around and trying to figure out what's going to happen. Stand strong with your head held high and speak words of faith. Let the enemy know and let the world know that what you are saying is what you believe and what you believe is what you will see. Because I am looking for a people, says the Lord, who will stand and open their mouths fearlessly and boldly and say, this is what the word declares, so this is what I am. This is what I have, and this is what I can become, and this is what I will possess. Even as I told Moses concerning the children of Israel, as they complained and griped in the wilderness... They said over and over again, we are going to die in this wilderness. I told Moses, the prophet of God, you tell them as they have spoken in my ear, that is how it is going to be. Never underestimate, says the Lord, that you will have what you say. So in that word, God brought to us, and you can find the story in Numbers chapter 14, and verse 28 is specifically where God said it. Go ahead and turn back there to Numbers 14, because God referenced this, uh, the Holy Spirit referenced this in that word to us. In verse 28, it says, Say unto them, As truly as I live, says the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. Now, when God spoke that to us, He specifically identified that we are going to speak words of faith and words of the Spirit. And we are going to, people are going to say, how did that stop? How did you get that to happen for you? And it's going to be because of your words. Because in this again, what God said, I'm looking for a people who will stand and open their mouths fearlessly and boldly and say, this is what the word declares, so that's what I am. This is what I have. This is what I can become. And that is what I will possess. So that's what God identified. So God is not telling us that we're going to have negative things because we've been saying ne negative things. He's saying the same principle works for your good. They got what they said in my ears. And because you're coming to me saying, I will not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. I will prosper. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm always going over whatever I put my hands to. God commands the blessing upon it. Because you're saying what my word says... In my ears, you'll have what you say. Amen. Amen? Amen? You're saying, as you have spoken in my ear. Well, when God said that to me, that, that, it really perked up in my heart 
a recognition that God hears everything I say. That not just when I say, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, does he turn on the, the speaker, right? Oh, oh, she's coming online. Turn on the speaker now. And then the rest of the time, God's not listening to me. No, he hears everything I say. He knows the thoughts and the intents of my heart. He hears everything I say. So you know what? I've been saying a lot more to him just so he can hear it. Lord, I know you're listening, so I just want you to know that you have multiplied me as the bud of the field and that I increase and I've come to find outfits. Father, I I just want you to know that you increase me more and more. Amen. I I just come to him and and because I'm like, I know you're listening, so I just want want to to let you know that I'm saying this today because I'm speaking into his ear. I'm speaking into his ear purposefully, purposefully, and it, it stirs me up to say more because I know he's listening. I know he's listening, and he says, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do. <laughs> as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do. Does that stir you up to say something? Oh, oh, really? As, as I speak in your ear? Father, I thank you that I'm the head and not the tail. Father, I thank you that the, I come in the fullness of the blessing. I come in the fullness of the blessing. Hallelujah. As you speak in my ear, so will I do to you. As you speak in my ear, so will I do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes. Thank you, Lord. So we want our words to be... And in this chapter, we see that even though there was the whole multitude of people who did not say the right thing, the two who did say the right thing, they got what they said. Joshua and Caleb. I mean, in this, there were thousands of people Thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Some theologians say three million people that came out of Egypt. And only two of them out of that original group that came out, the, the two that, that came out of that original group, the rest were the children of that generation, right? That Joshua got to lead in the next generation because they would not agree with God. They would not say in God's ear in line with what God said. And you know what? He heard them in their tent while they were in bed talking to each other and complaining to each other. Nobody, I mean, the kids didn't hear them, but God heard them. Nobody else could hear them, but God heard what they were saying to each other in their tents at night. But Joshua and Caleb, they were saying something different. They were saying, we are more than able. We, 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 God is with us. We could go right now. Come on, just don't even put it off. Let's go up now. We are more than able to possess the land. God is with us. We can do it. Come on, let's go. We're more than conquerors. God is on our side. Hallelujah. And it's in those situations that we've got to recognize, okay, okay, wait a minute. The pressure is on me. The difficulties all around me. What am I going to say about it? Because it's easy to say the right thing when you got your Bible in front of you and you're all worked up. You, whoo, yeah, praise the Lord. But in the moment is when it really matters. In the moment when that, that difficulty is, has slapped you in the face or, or uh, pressuring you and over, trying to overwhelm you, that's when you've got to stand up and speak the end from the beginning. It, this is not going to go this way. I need to turn this. So how am I going to turn it? I'm going to turn it with my words. I'm going to pull the good that's stored up in my heart out with my words and I'm going to administer it to this situation with my words and I'm going to call for it to turn, for it to change and God is picking up with His ears everything I'm saying. So in the middle of the situation, if I say, I don't know why this always happens to me and I don't understand why I never have enough and it seems like, and and the pressure, I know 
what the pressure makes you want to say. It, I mean, it's, there's this temptation that just comes to say, if you just, just, just blow up, you'll feel better. If you just open your mouth and just speak out that unbelief, it will at least release the pressure. But it's a deception. Because it doesn't just, it might release the emotional pressure, but it releases so much destruction in the process. It's like, it's like pouring Drano all over your dinner on the table. Now you got to throw it all away. Right? Because I've just exploded this destructive force all over this situation. So the pressure is that deception saying, just go ahead and say it. You'll feel better if you just say it. Just go ahead and say it. I've been trying, Tyler, and it's not working. Don't say that. Because your mouth is like the bit or the rudder. And you don't want to turn it in the direction that pressure is telling you to turn it. So Malachi, Malachi, Malachi 3, Malachi 3, and this is, I, I praise God that we have what God used to teach them to correct the errors. So we don't have to experience error to have to learn these lessons. We can go learn how God corrected them and just keep ourselves in line. Amen? But notice, he says in verse 13, Your words have been stout against me. Your words have been stout against me, says the Lord. Now, he said in Numbers, As you have spoken in my ear... That's what I will do. And what had they spoken? What had those people spoken in numbers? You brought us out here to die in the wilderness, die in the wilderness, die in the wilderness. They said that phrase, die in the wilderness, over and over and over and over. So when we first began to recognize the power of our words, we were, all of our children were little. Pastor was working at the insurance company. I was babysitting children. He was the assistant pastor at that time at a church in Kansas City, Kansas. And uh, we, we had a car that someone had given us that the floorboard was out of it and there was a problem with the, the exhaust. And so by the time we got to church the car would be so full of exhaust that the kids would be asleep in the back and we would have to hurry up and get them out of the back seat. You know how pastor says it. They're not asleep. They're suffocating back there. Get the kids out. So we would ride in the summer with the windows down because the exhaust would come up through the floorboard. It did help with the heat, the exhaust coming through the floorboard in the winter, but the smell of it, you'd have the headache. You smelled like exhaust when you got to church. Uh, we, uh, like I said, all of our kids were little. We were, were learning how to walk by faith. We did not have a lot of income at the time, just getting a hold of some of the faith truths that we know today. Uh, but this is something that I encountered every week. We had other people in the church who they would go out to eat after church. And one particular family, they had one child, and it was, you know, husband, wife, one child. And so when they go out to eat, for them to go out to eat was a lot less money for us to take all of our little kids and us to go out to eat. It didn't seem like a much to them, and, and they had more income coming in. And so they would come and say, hey, do you want to go out to eat? And so... You know, there were some, at first, I would always say, we really don't have the money to go out to eat. We really don't have the money to go out to eat. And there were times, you know, that they would say, well, hey, we'll pay for it. Come on, we'll bless you and we'll pay for it. And yeah, okay, but, you know, you, you don't want to do that. And you, you're like, I, I, you know, we can't really take it out of our budget to go do this. We're just barely... Uh, covering our groceries and our, our rent and all this other stuff. And so whenever they would come, I just heard myself say it over and over until I realized what I was saying. We don't have enough money to go out to eat. We don't have the money. We don't have, we don't have, 
die in the wilderness, die in the wilderness, die in the wilderness, die in the wilderness. And I was saying it not intending to be poor mouthing, not intending to say a negative situation. I was trying to answer their question in a way that didn't make them, you know, feel like they had to pay for us or whatever. I was trying to say it and I was like, Lord, I keep saying I don't have money and I'm trying to believe you for money. So I don't need to be saying I don't have enough. How do I do this? And the Lord said, put dinner in the crock pot. And when they come and ask you, do you want to go out to eat? You tell them, I already have dinner on the stove. I've got my dinner in the crock pot. Roast in the oven. Chili in the crock pot. I had to plan ahead to do it, but I had an answer that didn't violate what I was working on. Do you see what I'm saying? I had to take every idle word. That was a word that was working against me. It was operating against the plan of God for my life for me to put that in my mouth and say, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have. And I didn't want to lie or sound foolish to try to say, well, I have plenty, but we just don't want to go out with you. Because <laughs> I loved them. I wanted to go out with them, but it was not wise. And then that even kind of sounded kind of foolish. It's not wise for us to go out. That was still, so I, God just said, put dinner in the crock pot. And now you have a reason. You can, you can say it. And so he says, your words have been stout against me. Well, listen, if our words can be stout against God, then we can change our words and we can use words that are easy for God to work with in our life. If we're saying things that are in line with what he said, then there's, it, it makes it easy for him to work. It makes it, it, he can get right on board. You know, it says Jesus is the high priest of our confession. Jesus is working with the words we speak. And the words we speak either authorize him to work in our life, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him shall I trust. That was the authorization from Psalm 91. I will say of the Lord. From that point on, the high priest begins to speak. Because of what you said, no evil shall befall you and no plague shall come near your dwelling. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Because of what you said, now I can put in place and work this covenant of protection because of what you said. So Jesus is our high priest. If we give him words to work with, then he can effect his will in our life with ease. But if we are saying things that are stout against our covenant or saying words that limit what he can do in that situation... That's why the, the Lord said, uh, don't say, I don't know. Don't say, I don't know. And that was another one. Angela, my daughter, was the queen of the question. Four years old, five years old, she started in on me. Mommy, why is the sky blue? Mommy, why is the grass green? Mommy, why are there stars in the sky? Mommy, why is that lady's hair purple? Mommy, why, 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 mommy, why? It was all day long. And I was homeschooling then. I'm like, stop. And so I started saying, I don't know. 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 Mommy, why? I don't know. Mommy, why? I don't know. Mommy, why? I don't know. Until the Lord pressed play on my recorder. And how many times a day I was saying, I don't know. And I had to change it. Well, let's find out. Let's find out. Let's ask somebody. If whatever I could do to stop saying I don't know, because the more I said I don't know, the more cloudy my thinking became. 
I, I remember a time that I was dealing with, and, and it seemed like a, a, a confusion. I'm like, why? I am too young to be having this <laughs> confusion. I resisted in Jesus' name. And it was connected to me saying, I don't know. I have the mind of Christ. It says, I have an unction from the Holy One, and I know all things. Because I'm connected to the one who does know all things, I can know all things. So for me to say I don't know is unscriptural. So I had to learn a different way to answer that without bringing... When, when you say I am or I have, it's authorizing. I am is authorizing. So that's why we say let the weak say I am strong. Let the sick say, I am healed. You could, you could go on with that same concept. Why? Because we're not authorizing what is. We're authorizing what God has said is ours. So I don't know is, is contrary to Scripture. I don't understand. Or I can't. According to Scripture, I can do all things through Christ. So for me to say I can't, is a, is a, and I know it sounds like you're nitpicking, but when you're developing your faith and you have to believe that those things you say will come to pass, then you become very disciplined in the words that are coming out of your mouth because I don't want my words to be stout against God. And they said, Lord, what did we say that was stout against you? And that word stout, it actually means you have tied my hands. Your words have tied my hands. Well, you and I, we are not going to be those people who speak words that tie God's hands. You and I give God words He can work with. We speak words that are pleasing to God's ears, words that are a delight to Him, and words that He can work with. Because God works with words. What have you spoken in God's ear? What have, what have I spoken in God's ear? What am I speaking in God's ear? Words that God can work with. So he said, your words have been stout against me. And they said, what have we said against you? And he said in verse 14, when they made this statement, it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance? And it was talking about the tithe, so... What good is it if I tithe? What good is it if I give? That giving's not working. They were under pressure and said what the pressure was telling them to say. And God said, the words hindered his working in their life. But you're here too. But you're in verse 16. Then they that feared the Lord spoke often to one another, and the Lord heard, he hearkened and heard, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that, that's us right here, this is us. We are those who fear the Lord even to the point that every word we speak, we judge it before it comes out of our mouth and make sure it's appropriate to, for God to hear what I'm saying. <laughs> God's listening. And my words are going to honor him. Hallelujah. I want my words to be words that God can work with. What am I saying? Because God said, whatever you speak in my ear, that's what I'll do. Whatever you speak in my ear, that's what I'll do. Praise God. Hallelujah. Right words honor God. He said, those that feared the Lord spoke and the Lord hearkened and heard it and wrote their names in a book of remembrance. A book of remembrance. Kathleen fears the Lord. Carrie Moulton fears the Lord. Tanya fears the Lord. God said, they're in my book. I know that. Yeah, I hear they're, I, they're in my book. They're in my remembrance book. They speak words that honor me. They speak words I can work with. They speak words in line with my covenant. Amen? Amen. Father, we're so thankful. 
We're so thankful to you, Lord. We give glory and honor to the system of words that you have authorized us to operate. And Lord, we take our responsibility with our words and we ask you to correct us for any utterances, any words that we have permitted that are not working for our good or working in your kingdom. Lord, if we have inoperative, non-working words, please bring that to our attention because we would rather correct now than have to give judgment for it later to give an account. Lord, we desire for our words to be words that work with your kingdom plan and words that honor you. And so we ask you for your help as we come to a greater discipline and efficiency in our words. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.